right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to be alive, courtesy of your grace. We thank you for this church, for the ability to sit here and learn and even comprehend the things about you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit guiding and teaching us, helping us understand spiritual things. And we thank you for your word that is rich in the wisdom of all that is you. Father, help us never take you for granted and help us always remember your son and his incredible sacrifice in our place. For even though he was innocent, he submitted himself to your will so that he could be a sacrifice for all time for the sins of the whole world. Father, we ask that you bless this message, that your spirit guide us and teach us. And it's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. So again, we're on part 29, Why Are the Apostles So Encouraging? By Grace They Were Prepared. Uh, we've had a few key points over the last few lessons that are worth noting, and we'll kind of just go through that cycle, if you will, again. Um, there's a few things he's kind of been weaving in the last few lessons, and one is on divine patience. And divine patience, it's really something to think about, because God's patience is so beyond us. It's so beyond us. Like, when we have patience with somebody, we, we see what that means, and we get a glimpse of what patience means, but his patience, it's so beyond our comprehension. And that, you know, speaks to the point we've been noting on the board regarding divine patience. Mere humanity cannot even understand the depths of God's patience due to the fact that mankind is unable to understand all the ways that God withholds warranted discipline. That alone is why we can't understand the depths of his patience. If we knew all the areas in our lives where God should have disciplined us, first of all, we'd probably be shocked in our arrogance. Oh my God, was that wrong? Right? If we knew all the areas he should have disciplined us, we'd be blown away by that alone. And then second, we'd be so much more grateful for his patience with us. So I think God, like, wants us to open our hearts, our minds, uh, spiritually, to see and even imagine. Again, God gave us an imagination, right? Just be open and ask God even to show you the depth of what he's overlooked in your life, the depth of the grace he's shown you, the things he's quote-unquote overlooked or put aside for the time being, to be merciful to you. Right to be kind to allow you to go forward in this plan, even uh, it it just is mind-boggling, and it might be a good exercise because it'll only lead to more gratitude. Another thought the Spirit gave us on Sunday to think about is, what is patience to God? What what is patience to God? What does patience mean to God? Why does He even need it? Does He need it? 
I don't think so, right? He's not bound to time, is he? So this thing called patience, maybe it's a visual aid uh, for our benefit since we are bound by time. Maybe it's another display of his love, another way he shows us grace and mercy. On the board, regarding divine patience, in theology, we classify this as an anthropopathism, which is when we ascribe a human passion or emotion to deity. If the concept of patience implies time, then patience to a God that isn't bound by time is something foreign to man, who is bound by time. In other words, what does patience mean to God? We don't know. We can't know. He's not bound by time. So obviously it means something different to him. So in one of our main uh, passages last week, we saw patience is actually for our benefit, for man's benefit. Maybe again as another glimpse into his tremendous mercy. Um, Sinners, as sinners, we're, we're bound by the construct of time. So really God's patience is for our benefit. Turn again to 2 Peter 3, verse 8. 2 Peter 3, verse 8. So again, we might conclude that uh, patience is really for our benefit. Maybe for us to see God in a different light, see His mercy in a different light. 2 Peter 3, 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years like one day. There's a good visual of how God doesn't need patience. Uh, He knows the beginning from the end. He's not limited or stressed by time like we are. So again, uh, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, Since you look at these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, ultimately for the sake of seeing more souls saved. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Verse 16, as also in all his letters speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. So another thing the Spirit's kind of given to us is that it's okay if some things in scripture are hard for us to understand. I mean, that you think of divine patience. There is something just plain hard to understand or grasp with our you know, limited minds. 
but also some things in Scripture just not going to uh, be quickly revealed to us. They won't make sense right away. And the Spirit's been telling us we really shouldn't be so hard on ourselves when we don't get something. And this is really important. And if you remember when pastors started, you know, through the Spirit, encouraging us to read our own Bibles a couple years ago, and just keep reading, right? Keep reading. Have fun. If you don't get something, just keep reading. Remember that? And that is such an important attitude to have, because otherwise you get discouraged from even reading the Word. And what a shame that is. I mean, I remember years ago that was my thoughts largely about sitting down and trying to read the book, right? You get frustrated You're like, I can't do this. I need a pastor, right? When it's right there for the taking. So it's almost like if we're humble enough to admit that we're not going to get it all, that we can get past it. And that's what we need to be. Like, it's it's okay. The Spirit's been telling us it's okay. We should just be concerned that our heart's in the right place, if you think about it. That's our main issue. That's our main concern. Our heart's in the right place. You know what, Lord? I don't get this at all. But you know my heart right now. You know I want to get it. So if you want to show me something, show me something. You know, examine your own heart, as the Bible tells us. And then go on. Keep reading. And see what God gives you today. So the Lord has great patience with us. He brings us along one day at a time. And He will teach us what we need to know at the proper time in our lives. Do you believe that? He will teach us what we need to know at the proper time in our lives. You could read the same passage over and over, and you'll get something different from it each time. Um, Number one, you'll never get it all. But number two, there's something designed by God for you to grasp at that time, something you needed, something the Spirit decided to show you. So you see, again, it's back to spiritual things. It's a, you know, it's a supernatural spiritual process, even taking in the Word and understanding it. It's not about knowing it all, just so long as we keep seeking Him. So as we've been seeing, we must understand the context of what is in the Word of God, including in Paul's letters, that sometimes it's easy to get discouraged with uh, if we don't understand what he's, what he's arguing. So we've seen this point on the board a couple times regarding the Pauline epistles, which Peter referred to in 2 Peter 3.16. The context of Paul's letters was typically in response to something unique in one of the churches. Very often he was dispelling false doctrines that had marred the gospel. He was often forced to argue complexities as a result of the insidiousness of the perversions he faced. So something to really think about. He, he often was called to dispel false doctrines. False doctrines that other churches didn't even know about. These were all different letters he wrote to different churches, right? With different problems and different peoples. You know, the, the, the next church that he wrote to may not have understood or, or even known about the problem in the previous church. The previous letter he wrote. So again, the Spirit kind of has something for each of us at the right time. Peter was letting us know in verse 16, again in your Bibles, that it's normal to struggle with some of Paul's lawyer-like arguments, which were necessary to contend with the intricate lies he was combating. 
that's why some things are hard to understand. The gospel's pretty simple and straightforward, really. But some of the things are hard to understand because Paul was fighting a unique battle. As the Spirit brought out on Sunday, you're not always going to be able to fully understand his arguments because you weren't there. You weren't there. You don't know the culture and religious ways of the people very well. Not only was it a different location, but it was a different time period, right? Just like you don't know the culture and religious ways of people in India very well today even. Do you? I mean, do you really know what the Indian Christians battle in terms of religion on a daily basis? Do you know the arguments that they may have to put together, you know, by Scripture to refute some of the lies that are, you know, trying to permeate their church? Unless you spend a significant amount of time there, you won't understand what they're trying to battle. You won't understand the arguments they have to put together, like Paul had to put together different arguments for different churches. So that's what Paul had to do uh, for the benefit of those living in a variety of lands and cultures. Uh, think of all the places he went. We've been in the book of Acts now for a few years on the, in the Bible study on Wednesdays. Think of all the places Paul went in his four missionary journeys around the world, the known world at the time. All different peoples, all different cultures, all different problems and hang-ups within the cultures. So, different letters, different arguments. So as you read your Bibles, don't get stressed by what you don't know in the Scriptures, especially in the letters of Paul. That can be somewhat difficult. Just stick to the Word, keep reading, trust the Spirit will show you what you need to see at the proper time, period. I don't want to know it all right now. I know I can't take it. You know, I'm so limited, I'm so weak in some areas, and God's like, I'm not going to show you that yet. You can't quite handle that one yet. Let me show you this little tidbit here out of this verse and take that for the day. So we got to trust his, his goodness, right? And he's going to give you what you want as long as we're what? Humble. So this should be very encouraging, uh, what Peter said in verse 16. And remember, he's an apostle himself. And Peter said, I understand. Some of the things Paul wrote are kind of hard. So that should be encouraging in itself. Pastor gave us an example on Sunday of two people arguing over the quality of ice cream. But a third party butts in and disagrees with the two people discussing this. He gives a strong opinion on where they should go for ice cream, for example. But the guy has never eaten ice cream before in his life. Obviously, a pretty silly statement, a pretty silly situation, right? If you've never eaten ice cream, why would you jump into a conversation and even give a dogmatic opinion about it? It'd be foolishness. And yet, that's what religious people like to do, even interrupting the Church of Christ. The Apostle Paul had to deal with it. Um, the people he encountered that interrupted those churches they didn't walk with Jesus, they weren't trained by Jesus, and many of them didn't even know the Scriptures. And they're butting in as though they had some kind of wisdom to say on the matter of God, which obviously is pretty foolish. So that's what Paul was dealing with, and uh, that's what we deal with, right? 
when we, when we encounter religious people, you've got to face it, that, that's the most difficult people to, to deal with, to converse with, with patience, right? Is religious people that don't look to the scriptures for their answers. They look to um, what they want God to be for the most part. Some add to the gospel. Um, some make up different Jesuses, as in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And they stand on that like they're positive what they believe is true without having Scripture as the source. So where are they getting from? And that's what's so frustrating. So we see uneducated people who are lying to others to get their own way many times, being used by Satan in the kingdom of darkness to deceive people who had turned to Christ. And Paul had to counter those lies, the fabrications they came up with. So on the board, uh, this kind of came up on Sunday. We'll call it perversions of truth. Some intelligent people, even in our day, like to chime in about God and religious things, using their human rationale to make sense of God, yet they have not studied it out. They have not honestly and openly examined the evidence in the Holy Scriptures. And this is where patience comes in, folks, because it's real easy to get upset when this type of thing happens, to lose your temper, to, um, you know, maybe not show the love of God. And you were probably there at one point. You were probably this person at one point. I know I was assuming things about God, making broad statements about God that aren't backed by Scripture. And as a believer, it can get you upset. But yet, remember where you came from, right? And maybe they're just in that lost place. So, you know, <laughs> speak the truth in love. Remember that? Keep trying to do that. But a lot of intelligent people, quote-unquote, even in our day, they do like to chime in about God and religious things because they're intelligent, they think they've maybe figured something out using their human rationale to make sense of God, yet they have not studied it out. They have not honestly and openly examined the evidence in Holy Scriptures. So they academically make arguments, but they haven't firsthand stuck their nose in the Word of God with a humble heart. Some have even gone in the Word of God without a humble heart, right, to academically just make an argument to win a debate, but without any faith, without any humility. So all these variations of beliefs come out of this type of practice, this rationale, right? All these different variations. Where do you think all these denominations came from? Uh, where do you think all people's opinions about the afterlife come from? A lot of human rationale. And that's something Satan's very happy about. Very happy that there's all these quote-unquote alternatives and whatever you believe is just fine. Don't worry about backing it by Scripture. So, first of all, accept Peter's sympathy about Paul's difficult letters and realize the context of Paul's battles as he wrote. At least, you know, give in, so to speak, to the context of the situation on the board again. The context of Paul's letters was typically in response to something unique in one of the churches. Very often he was dispelling false doctrines that had marred the gospel. He was often forced to argue complexities 
as a result of this insidiousness or the insidiousness of the perversions he faced. So on the board, our encouragement is this. We ought never be discouraged by the fact that some parts of the Bible are difficult to understand. There are multiple reasons why this is so, including context and God's infinite nature. But faith is what God gives us to bridge such chasms. When you don't understand something that you've read and and you have a choice now to let it bother you, to let it discourage you, or to operate in faith and say, I trust God has a purpose for that. I don't get it right now. I trust he'll show me what it means when I need to see it. And for now, I'm going to trust I don't need to see it. So faith bridges these chasms, these difficulties that some people go crazy over because they want to stick in human rationale, right? They want to say, I've got to figure this out. I've got to figure this out. And if I can't, forget it. It must not be valid. Well, that's not the humble way to approach the Word of God, something that's infinite. But if we have faith, it bridges all the chasms. We don't need all the answers. We trust God. And we'll get to that a little bit later. So are you still in 2 Peter 3, 16? Okay. So again, after uh, Peter sympathizes with us, he also warns us in this verse. Look at verse 16. As also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures, to their own destruction. I'm sure you agree, one of the most frustrating things is to meet a religious person who bases their beliefs on tradition or emotion. And they, they, they won't change, right? If you know what I mean, by a certain denomination in this area, they refuse to change. I was born this way, I'm going to die this way. Whatever that means. Because you're, you're going to die this way, quote-unquote, based on tradition or emotion. Something for which you don't have any substance behind, some, any evidence behind it being true. So again, that, that's why it's one of the most frustrating things. And someone might not be ready yet. They stand on what they feel is right or what they feel is true. Not based on scripture. And they jump to conclusions. Maybe, maybe it's got to stay in their comfort level, their comfort zone. You know, I can't consider that God might be this way or that eternal life might be this way. So I'm comfortable with this and I, I'm, I'm not going to open myself up to change. Who knows? But they take hard stands on their beliefs without any evidence of Scripture. And as came out on Sunday, what do we do with people like that? You can't argue with people like that. You can't persuade them if they're not open. And you know if they're open or not. You can tell if they're open or not. So go with what the Spirit shows you in that and just pray for them. There's going to be certain people in our lives that that's the best thing we can do is step back, step away, and pray. And the fact is only God can reach them anyway, especially when they're uh, stubborn in their religious ways. So that's why when someone refuses the gospel, even repeatedly, you're better off leaving them to God and just revealing truth by your life and your example. Again, if someone refuses the gospel, 
or refuses to listen to the word of God, you're better off leaving them to God and just revealing truth by your life and your example. We as believers in Christ have to be on guard for the lies and persuasions that are going to come at us. Even, even these religious persuasions, we have to be on guard for them because they, they will at times be like a serpent. They will at times sound good and slither up to you as something, you know, you might want to embrace even. Even your flesh wants to embrace. So we, we have to be on guard as Peter is telling us in verse 16 and 17. Uh, actually, look at verse 17 now. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, knowing what beforehand? What he just said in verse 16, that the untaught and unstable distort the truth to their own destruction. So you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you won't be carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Be on your guard. This is going to happen. This is going to come in your life at certain times. Unstable men are going to come. Unprincipled men are going to come in your life, and they're going to try to carry you away with distorted doctrine. So on the board we saw this phrase, carried away, from the Greek, sunapago, means to suffer oneself to be carried away together with, something that carries away. To experience with others the force of that which carries away. Kind of like a wave, right? Let's say it's a wave, or let's say it's a current in the ocean pulling, trying to pull you back in the ocean. You can either go with the flow and go with others that say, oh, this is okay, it's good, don't worry about it, come on, let's go. There's a, there's a, there's a, a vacuum, there's a power, there's a, a force that you could be carried away very easily with others. We know how peer pressure works, right? Especially remembering your, your youth. So be on guard. This can happen to you. You're not beyond this, no matter how long you've been in the Word. As believers, we have the choice to give power to the flesh or to ignore, ignore the draw of the flesh and cling to the Spirit. So we either give the flesh power or we, we reject it and say no and cling to the Spirit. Literally, hold on to the Spirit with all your might sometimes and pray with all your might sometimes because there are temptations that will try to pull you away. So on the board in 2 Peter 3.17, Peter is warning us to be on guard against the presence of false doctrines from unprincipled, lawless men who have given in to the lusts of their flesh. This came out on Sunday, but I wanted to put it on the board for you. Again, Peter's warning us to be on guard against the presence of false doctrines from unprincipled, lawless men who have given in to the lusts of their flesh. And when you hear that term or see that term, lust of the flesh, don't automatically think of sex and stuff like that. That's not even in context here. Think of the lust of the flesh like power. How certain men try to, whatever situation they're in in their life, try to have the power over the situation or power over others. Think of control and how we hate to be out of control, right? The flesh hates to be out of control. 
Well, these certain lawless men, they're giving into these kinds of lusts. You know, that may be what Scripture says, but this is what I believe, and here's why. But really the reason I'm saying this is because I want to control others. All right? Or I want to have power over others. Or approbation from others. So again, there's a lot of false motivations here that some very smart men, some very intelligent, rationalizing people, unprincipled, however, lawless, will try to persuade you away. Will try to pull you into the current and say it's not that bad. The water's kind of warm. This is easier if you believe it this way, isn't it? You don't have to face the truth. So just like the serpent lies, that's how these men will operate and whisper to us. So be on guard is the message. We must be beware of falling into the religious trap of giving our, our opinion on God. Because that's what a lot of these uh, rationalizing people do. They're basically giving their opinion on God. What I've always thought is, right, or what I feel is true is, without any scripture. So, what a trap, right? Because you know that they may be being sincere. It's possible. You don't want to question someone's, you know, sincerity. But if they're not backing with scripture, they're deceived into an opinion about God. So that's, again, something we have to be aware of. Everyone's got an opinion. And you know what they say about opinions. Won't go any further. But that's what many religious people do. <laughs> Thanks, DJ. Uh, but that's what many religious people do. They craft an opinion of their own about God. They craft an opinion that's comfortable to them. And then they spread it. Maybe to you know, make themselves, themselves feel better or maybe to control people. Who knows? So be on guard. We believers in Christ, our job is to abide in the truth. Abide in the truth. Abide in the sphere of love. It's really simple, right? Really? To cling to the absolute truth that's only found in the Word of God, which is Christ Jesus himself. That's our job. That's what, we, that's what we protect for the benefit of our own souls and for the benefit of others around us. So again, <laughs> watch out for the lies. They're going to challenge the truth. They're going to skew the, the truth. And again, most people don't want the truth. They want a substitute that makes them feel good. I've been reading the book of Jeremiah lately. And a couple passages really stood out even before Sunday's message. And because they really go, go well with this idea that Peter's giving us about being on guard, I want to read them with you tonight. So go to Jeremiah 15, verse 15. Jeremiah 15, 15. Right about in the middle of your Bible. And again, remember the idea here that, that came out to me um, before Sunday's message was, is to be on guard for certain uh, people that are going to try to turn you the wrong way. Jeremiah 15, 15. You who know, O Lord, remember me, take notice of me, 
and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. Do not, in view of your patience, there's God's patience again, do not, in view of your patience, take me away. Know that for your sake I endure reproach. Your words were found and I ate them, and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the circle of merrymakers, nor did I exult. Because of your hand, your hand upon me, I sat alone, for you filled me with indignation. In other words, don't just join in with the partiers because it's easy to do and go along with them, especially if their hearts aren't with the Lord. You know, again, in verse 17, Jeremiah says, I did not sit in the circle of merrymakers, nor did I exult. Because of your hand upon me, I sat alone, for you filled me with indignation. Why has my pain been perpetual and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you indeed be to me like a deceptive stream with water that is unreliable? Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will restore you. Before me, you will stand. And if you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. They, for their part, may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. And that's what really stuck out to me when I was reading a few days ago. They, for their part, they may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. Then I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze, and though they fight against you, they will not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. So I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grasp of the violent. So again, we've come to Jeremiah to pad the principle on the board. Peter's warning us to be on guard against the presence of false doctrines from unprincipled lawless men who have given in to the lusts of their flesh. Here in Jeremiah, go to Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by the stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. That goes with our study the last couple of years, right? In verse 7, the one who trusts in the Lord, he will not cease to yield fruit. In verse 8. And then it says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. So again, be on guard for you know, man's deceitful heart, like in verse 5. 
Cursed is the man that trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Instead, not verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. So be on guard is the message. Keep your eyes on the cross and the absolute truth of God's word, and don't be swayed to turn to the right or to the left. Keep blinders on, so to speak. Protect your soul. Keep your eyes on the cross. Keep your eyes on his word and his spirit. Trust him. And don't even look to the right or to the left. It's tempting, but don't even bother. So Peter is saying, instead of falling for the trap of being carried away by unprincipled men, uh, go back to 2 Peter 3, verse 18. What's the solution? What's the alternative? We just read in Jeremiah 17, don't trust in the flesh, instead trust in the Lord. Well, Peter says, instead of being carried away by unprincipled men in verse 17, follow verse 18. 2 Peter 3, 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So don't be carried away by these intelligent arguments by some rationalizing men that are unprincipled. Instead, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Simple and pure. And we must remember and believe that we are nothing without God's grace and patience involved in doing this. As we relearn, learn to rely on Him, as we turn to Him alone for truth in our lives, our hearts will be glad and relieved. Because God's not a God of confusion. He's not a God of disorder. As we turn to Him and rely on Him, as we do just what verse 18 says, simple, right? Eyes on the cross. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory. As we do that, as we rely on Him more and more for truth, Him alone, our hearts are going to be glad and relieved from the lies and the pressure. All because in our hearts we rely on God's grace. Again, we've seen this principle a few times now on the board. God's glory is seen through His grace. You want to see God's glory? Look at His grace in your life and others. And his patience also is a picture of his grace towards us. So we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and remember daily that he's setting us apart for his purposes. And it takes devotion to the word to see that. It takes devotion to the word to see that. That's why Jesus said what he did in John 17, 17 on the board. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them, set them apart in the truth, one day at a time, Lord. It's all I can handle. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. So, back to the idea of enjoying the process, enjoying the journey. We're always in a rush. We want to understand everything now. We think we should be at a certain place now. 
But why do you think God's given us 70 or 80 years on average? And if you have 70 or 80 years, do you need to rush? I know Bill's like, yeah, I need to rush. We're getting close. <laughs> but do we need to rush? In other words, did God design life in a way where he's like, take it piece by piece. Take it year by year. Take it week by week. Let me teach you. Again, all he's after is, is, is our hearts. He's after our obedience, right? Our humility. He's like, let me show, let me show you the way. You know, it's like walking through, you know, this analogy before, a field with the Lord, and he's pointing certain things out to you. He's not in a rush to get to the other end of the field that's a mile away. He's walking you through the field, and he's showing you what you need to see right now. And he say, obey me in this area. Okay, love me in this way. Obey me in this area. You know, share this with others at this time. Because there's a time for everything. Enjoy the process. Enjoy the fact that God says he will sanctify you. That he will complete you in the end. So rest on that, right? You can't complete yourself. Stop trying. Stop listening to the religious lies. Maybe they're even in your soul from the past. You can't complete yourself. God changed you at salvation. He has to change you to do anything good in your life. He has to continue changing you because there's no hope otherwise. We can't do anything good without him. So realize and accept the fact that sanctification takes time. And be humble and follow him. That's it. If we do that, we basically get to watch him work in our lives. There's an obedience factor on our part, but there's not an ability factor. Just think about that. As we go through this journey with God, that God is patiently taking us through life and teaching us what he needs to at certain times, there is an obedience factor, but there's not an ability factor. So go with it. Obey. He's not asking you to be able again. He's not asking you to, you know, <laughs> do it yourself. He's saying obey. Follow me and be patient. And we must never forget, too, that God has us right where he wants us, right now. If he wanted us in a different place, he would have changed something, put us in a different place. He knows exactly what we need and when we need it. So on the board, what's come out in the last couple lessons regarding experiencing our position, in a sense, we have to catch up to all that God's done in us at salvation. But when you see the, those words catch up, don't get stressed. Stop it. Catch up in a marathon, not a sprint, right? This is a marathon, not a sprint. So yeah, there's a course to run. There's a race to run. But enjoy it. Take your time. Pace yourself. God knows <laughs> you need to pace yourself. And he'll give you what you need. So this is where our hope and even our excitement lies. This journey, this, this, this process of catching up to all the great things God's already done in us at salvation. We should wake up each day with a sense of wonder in us, really. Like, I wonder what God might show me today. 
The God of the universe lives inside of us as believers in Christ. He has a plan for us each day, and he gives us his grace and power to live in it each day. Whatever happened to taking one day at a time? Whatever happened to what the Lord said in Matthew chapter 6? Today has enough trouble of its own. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Enjoy and wonder what God's going to do in you today. Because you can't do it. It's like, boy, Lord, I can't wait to see the miracle you do today in me because I'm wretched at times. I'm disobedient at times. But I'm yours. I've surrendered. What are you going to do in me today? That, in that sense, by faith, we should be excited to see what he's going to do in us next. And on Sunday, we, we finished the message with a very encouraging passage uh, that reminds us of a lot of truly good things that we can participate in that we have no business participating in, but we can participate in. Turn again to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So by faith, each day we wake up, we should be, quote-unquote, excited to see what he's going to do. We should have a certain wonder uh, for spiritual things for the day. Like, what, you know, what are you going to do? Show me. Show me. Give me a hint. And ask for that personal, you know, connection, and he often will show it to us. Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of, you, of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given, given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Now, look at all the divinely good things we have an opportunity to do to bring glory to God the Father. Look at verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. 
Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What I thought of just as reading that right now is the opportunity we have to live an honorable life before God. To actually live in these honorable principles that we have no business living in on our own. That we can't do in the, by the flesh's effort. And when we do, it messes everything up. Wrong motivations, rationales, you name it. But when we submit to God and ask His help to do these wonderful good things, we actually live an honorable life that we couldn't live otherwise. And we bring tremendous glory to God. So it's these things and these verses that, that we have the ability to do. We have, we have the power. We've been given everything we need at the moment of salvation. And we're just catching up and learning about these things and continuing to grow in His grace and knowledge. But we can do these things. You can't do it in your flesh. For example, forgiving your enemies. Right? Feeding your enemies. You can't do it in your flesh. But you and I have been given the power by grace to do these things. So on the board, be excited. You and I get the chance to do great things for God. Like we're talking about really honorable, pure things. You and I get the chance to do great things for God. Things we know we can't do in our own power. But in obedience to His Word and His Spirit, we can live in the divine call and bring tremendous glory to God in our lives. You can do things you never thought you could do if we're obedient to His Word and His Spirit. If we're obedient to passages like Romans 12 and in humility we decide to obey regardless of how we feel at times. You and I, again on the board, we get the chance to do great things for God. Things we can't do in our own power. But in obedience to His Word and His Spirit, we can live in the divine call and bring tremendous glory to God in our lives. Who would have thought that you could bring glory to God? Did you? Honestly? I mean, <laughs> I include myself in this, of course. Did you seriously think you could bring glory to God? But the good news is you can. By His power, by His grace, you can. You can do amazing, wonderful things. Supernatural things. And that's why we should be excited that we have the privilege of serving God in a way that He accepts. We have the privilege of changing people's lives by living in the grace of God that God showed us. This Romans 12, it's like all one huge privilege before us. And crazy enough, we even have the chance to overcome evil with good in verse 21. Who are we to overcome evil with good? We've tried to do that in the flesh our whole lives, couldn't do it. 
but now we can through his divine power. So God wills for our tomorrow to be a better day for each one of us. He's like, you know, any day now you can change your perspective. Any day you're free to do that, to live in Romans 12, to humbly follow me. And forget about the past. I had a friend that uh, turned 40 recently, and the comment this person made was, I look forward to the next 40. It's going to be better. Right? And that's the right godly attitude to have because there's a whole lot of stuff behind you that you don't have to look back at. You don't have to say anymore, I can't do that, or I'm a failure in that area. You don't have to say that anymore. Every day we wake up, we have the ability and the chance to look forward to the better day that we can live in Romans 12, for example. So go to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. Lamentations 3, 22, just as a nice, friendly reminder. God proposes to us on the basis of his grace being there for us that tomorrow can be better. Lamentations 3.22. The Lord's... I'll wait one more minute. Lamentations 3.22. It is a thin book to your defense. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. What an attitude to embrace. As the Spirit brought out on Sunday... If you lack a certain joy in your life, your perspective on God's grace is somehow off. If you don't, you know, have any wonder at all in your new day, wondering about what God's going to do next, your perspective on God's grace is somewhat off. You're not embracing His grace and His mercy and what he, He's looking forward to doing in you. So on the board, we saw undoubting God's grace. Don't ever... Doubt God's grace. It's there new and fresh every morning. It's a dangling lie from the tempter himself to doubt God's grace. Don't fall for it. God's ultimate mission for us is to live by his grace and spread the good news. And I want to close with something that came out in the lesson on Sunday that was not in pastor's notes. On the board, let's just call it God's grace provisions. Change your perspective on the details of your life, your work, your family life, your responsibilities in this life. Why are these things there and such a big part of our lives on earth? I used to think the spiritual life is come to church and, you know, pray and, 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 and you know, witness to others get through the work part as fast as I can, get through the other stuff I have to do as fast as I can so I can live the spiritual life. Quite wrong. When God says, I've given you this life, I've entrenched you in this life, and I've, I've designed you to work, 
I've designed you to have certain responsibilities in life so that you can spread my gospel in, the, in that life, within it. That's part of spreading the good news. Why does God ask us to work hard as unto the Lord? Why does God ask us to obey authorities as unto the Lord? Why does God ask us to love one another as Christ loved us? Within these, these functions of life that we're you know, stuck in, for lack of a better word, they're part of our lives. Why? What happens when you do these things well? What happens when you work as unto the Lord and do your best? What happens when you uh, live an honorable family life, let's say, and you um, love your family despite their failures at times? What happens? Your light shines, doesn't it? So we underestimate God's grace provisions. Number one, to keep us busy and keep us out of trouble, right? Thank God he calls us to work. And if you don't have to work or if you can't work, you have other things you have to deal with. There's a reason you can't work. But thank God that God gives us these things in our lives to, number one, take up our time productively. And number two, to reflect his light because of our obedience to him in these things. People are always watching. And people around you know about your faith in Christ. If they even know you're a believer, they may not even know you very well, you might not know them very well. But if they know you're a believer, and they see you do such a fabulous job at your job, when no one else can humble themselves under the boss's direction, you are witnessing for Christ. You are giving the gospel in a different way. And so that perspective came out on Sunday from Pastor, I think at the end of the lesson. Also that all the responsibilities of life are to keep us in line, keep us in position, so that we can effectively help harvest others to the Lord. So the encouragement on Sunday was, let's get our lives together for the Lord's sake so we can bring glory to God. Because you know what? More and more people out there don't have their lives together. And you're going to stick out like a sore thumb in a good way. Your light is going to shine because everyone else is dim. Less and less people are taking care of responsibilities, taking care of the family, working as unto the Lord, and people are going to notice you. Not because you're good, not because you have ability, because you're obedient to the Lord. You're humble. And people crave humility out there. They crave to see what it looks like because they don't see it. And so we let our light shine in that way. We actually give the gospel in that way. So be encouraged that we can live in this way. And as a friendly reminder, simplifying our lives more and more. The more we do that, the more opportunity we're going to have to bring glory to God and bring more souls to Christ. Simplify your lives. You complicate your life, you get more exhausted. You get more exhausted, you get more consumed with things in the world that are pulling you away from what we're really here for. So embrace what the Spirit brought out on Sunday. And let's close with an example of the powerful actions or the power of faithful actions as unto the Lord. Go to 1 Peter 3, verse 1. 
we have an opportunity every day to bring glory to God within the details of our lives. And in fact, as we've been taught, it's, that's really your pulpit. Wherever God has you right now, that's your pulpit. That's your opportunity, and it doesn't have to be with words. 1 Peter 3.1 In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. This is just one example. I'm not picking on the ladies here. This is one example of the power of our behavior. They were won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Question for everybody. Can your boss observe this type of behavior in you? Can any legitimate authority over you, whatever area of life it is, can they observe this type of behavior in you? So that they see a light shining in you that's unexplainable? How about your old friend? who's always observing your life from afar. You may not even know it. Can he observe this type of behavior that causes him to pause? This type of obedient, chaste, respectful behavior? I hope you get the point. We're all in situations like this, that we have the opportunity to share our daily lives with other people, the opportunity to show them, show them what love looks like. Show them what grace looks like. Show them what humility looks like. And the people you have in your path are in your path for a reason. Ultimately, to see the light of the gospel of Christ shining out of you, even if it's not by words. So we'll close with this on the board regarding God's grace provisions. Is your light on a table for all to see? As in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Or is your light under a bushel, under the table? We give the gospel in this way. We've learned this for two years now. This is part of giving the gospel, is letting our light shine through humility and love and things like that, that the world is it's becoming more and more foreign to this world and more and more attractive. So is your light on a table for all to see? Or have you been hiding it under the table and you need to pull it out? Just something to think about as we close. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your wisdom, your grace, your mercy. We thank you for your word that sets us free. And we thank you for the power and the opportunity to live an honorable life, to produce true good for you, just by humility and obedience. We thank you for this privilege, Father. We thank you for your spirit. And we thank you for each day, new grace, every morning, so that we can be excited about what you have for us today. We ask, Father, that you help us continue to live one day at a time and enjoy the journey in humility and obedience. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. Thank you.
Thank you.